Uh, God is good. Amen. 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 Grab your Bible. Grab your Bible. We're going to jump back into Colossians chapter number two. Chapter number two. We were able to finish up chapter number one last week. And so we're going to jump into chapter number two this week. Colossians chapter number two. Now, while you're turning, while you're turning, let me kind of remind everybody what's happening. We, we see uh, Paul is in prison. He is, he is writing. He is writing to the church at Colossae. <clears throat> he had gotten word that they are having problems. Some false teachers are uh, corrupting some of the people. And he's, he's dealing with this in this letter. Uh, some of the false teachers were saying that you have to mix Judaism with Christianity. In other words, you have to believe in Jesus, but then you got to be circumcised too. You got to follow the ceremonial laws and everything that went with Judaism. Some were saying that Jesus was just simply a good teacher. Some were saying that Jesus was just a, another emanation from God, kind of like the angels were, uh, that he was just a created being like everything else. And all that's false doctrine and all that was corrupting the people, discouraging the people. And Paul's letter to the Colossians was to encourage them and to teach them how to deal with this false doctrine. If that makes sense, say amen. Amen. All right. Let's look. Colossians chapter number two. And uh, uh, Paul has been dealing with this all through chapter number one. Now in chapter number two, he goes into more detail. And the, and the, the premise is this. Jesus is enough. All right. Say that with me. Jesus is. He's enough. You don't need Jesus and somebody else's opinions. You don't need Jesus and somebody else's knowledge or their, their philosophy. You don't need Jesus and some other ceremony. Jesus is enough. When it comes to salvation, Jesus is enough. When it comes to wisdom, Jesus is enough. When it comes to our sanctification, Jesus is enough. Let's all say that. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. And now... That is, and, and you're going to see that over and over and over throughout this letter. All right, now, let's jump in. Verse number one, we'll read, uh, let's read down to verse 15. Uh, this is more than we usually covered uh, in, in the first chapter, but that's just how, how it turned out. Uh, we may get it all done tonight, we may not, who knows. We'll, we'll, we'll try, okay? Uh, verse number one. For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you, and for them at Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, to whom or in whom, talking about Christ, in whom are hid all, how much? All, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ, Jesus Christ, the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith. As ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware. Everybody say that even for, even for every you. Say this with me. Beware. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy, vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him, in Christ, in him dwelleth all, there's that word, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. In whom, it's talking about Jesus again, you got a lot of in whom there. In whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all, all trespasses, 
blotting out the handwritten, uh, the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. All right. Well, let's stop right there and pray, and then I'll let you be seated. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your your precious word that we can read, we can study, we can learn, we can grow. Uh, Lord, thank you for the, the opportunity to have a dry building in the rain where we can gather together around your word with your people and study and, and to, to just be what you'd have us to be. Lord, we are following you and, and we're in you. So help us to walk after you. I pray that your perfect will be done. You know how desperately I need you at this time. And Lord, I pray that you'll help me to deliver it as you've given it to me. Help me to share this truth, uh, Lord, with everyone here. Help me to make it as simple as possible, Lord. Let, let the youngest person, the most uh, inexperienced person in this room, be able to understand what I'm saying tonight. I pray that you'll help me to say everything I should, and don't let me forget anything I shouldn't. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Right off the bat, in the very beginning of, the, of this chapter, Paul begins to kind of explain uh, some of the reasons or, or purposes of, of writing this letter and why he wrote the letter to them and issuing uh, uh, kind of cause and effect here in this particular chapter. Now, let's start with chapter or, or verse number one, and we'll just kind of go slowly through these verses, and we'll use that as a way to go slowly through the outline, all right? He said, for I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you. Now, let's start with this. We, we have the explanation. He, he begins to explain the purpose of the letter. First, we see Paul's care. Write that down. In verse number one, we see Paul's care. He said, for I would that ye knew what great conflict. The word conflict there is, is the Greek word agon, A-G-O-N, where we get our word agony. And Paul is saying the stress, the strenuous, uh, it, it, it's another word for anxiety, uh, the care, uh, the love, uh, the apprehension. Paul is saying, I care about you. I am praying for you. I am strenuously, actively involved in praying for you. I want you to be successful. I want you to be fulfilled. I don't want you to, Paul over and over and over again, he would write letters and tell people about the wolves in sheep's clothing, that there's going to come a day. And he, he would say it with tears in his eyes. He said, when I depart, I know that there's grievous wolves will come in among the sheep. And Paul cared about the churches that he had started, the churches he had planted, even though this was not a church that he was, he was personally involved in planting, it was out of his ministry. And so he cared about them. Somebody say amen. He said, I'm writing this letter not to get on to you, but because I care about you. I love you and I'm concerned about you. Uh, uh, and, and we should be. We should be. Uh, we should understand that there are false teachers out there. There are deceivers out there. There is deception on every hand. I need a witness. Say amen. amen. So he says, I want you to understand how much I care, how much I am concerned about you and the, those that lay out to see it. He says in verse number two, that their hearts might be comforted. Now, now, let's stop a minute. The word, uh, uh, the word heart here is in, in uh, we would say mind, okay? We would say mind. It's as in, in, in the Old Testament, the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his, so is he, right? But, but what do you think with? Your mind. So he's talking about their mind. You know, it, when, when you love God with all your heart, you know, it, it, we are looking in this situation. He's saying, I want to strengthen the word comfort here. Webster's Dictionary, 1828, means strengthened, consoled, or encouraged. In other words, they were weary and faint in their mind. You know, Paul told the Hebrews, he said, be careful, be careful, uh, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Who, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, right? And then he said something. He said, be careful that you be weary and faint in your... 
Well, these false teachers have been bombarding them and, and accosting them. And, and, and listen, he said, I want to strengthen your mind, your mind. The only way to fight false doctrine is to know some truth. Amen. Are y'all with me? We can't be willy-nilly. We can't be haphazard about what we let go in our, our mind. Our mind needs to be sharp. We need to know how to think. We need to know how to find God. Listen, it's not a dangerous thing to have deceivers around you. It's a dangerous thing not to know how to find out what the truth is. You don't have to know every answer to every question. See, that was something that messed me up when I was, when I was a young pastor. You know, because I was a pastor, I thought I was supposed to know everything. And any question that came to me, man, I thought I was supposed to know. Listen, I don't necessarily have to know all the answers, but I got to know where to find them. You got to have enough humility to say, you know what? That's a great question. I'm not sure about that, but I'll get back with you and know how to find it. Now, I'm not, I'm not asking you to memorize all of the Bible, and I'm not asking you to know every single Bible doctrine from frontwards to backwards, but you've got to at least know how to strengthen your mind and know how to find truth. The only, the only weapon against uh, uh, false doctrine is truth. Amen. Are y'all with me? Say amen. amen. He's saying, I want to strengthen your mind. I want you to have courage. I want to encourage you. I want to strengthen you to fight these uh, false False teachers in the false doctrine. Now, so we see in verse one, we have Paul's care. Verse two and three, we have Paul's curriculum. Write that word down. And basically, we're talking about the letter here, right? His curriculum, his teaching. This is what he's going to teach them. And kind of what he's wanting to accomplish with the letter. He wants to strengthen their mind. He says in verse number, verse number two, be knit together in love. And the word knit there means driven together, kind of like a puzzle piece, just fitting in together. And under all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. Now, it sounds complicated, but when you read it 27 times like I did today, it kind of falls together. Now, here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. In the letter... He wants to encourage you. He wants to strengthen you. But here's how he's going to do it. He's going to, he wants to help you find full assurance. That was number two. I don't think you had to fill anything there. He says, I want you to find full assurance. What was happening? These false teachers were causing them to doubt Christ. That they were doubting whether Christ was enough. Now, if, if you are here... And you've made a profession of faith. You have, you have proclaimed Christ. You've made a profession of faith. Uh, you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and you're expecting to go to heaven. Because, because the preacher said, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Romans chapter number 10. Amen. So you're all excited about that. And woo, you're ready to go. And now some new teacher comes and says, now wait a minute now, that's not all there is to it. That's not all there is to it. You got to also know some of, some of what I need to teach you. And, and then you got other false teachers who are trying to mix in Judaism and say, well, now, now listen, that faith stuff's okay and, 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 and believing in Jesus is okay, but you also gotta, you gotta do what Moses said in, in them ceremonies. So what's gonna start happening to your assurance? You're gonna start doubting if you got enough of what it takes to get to heaven. Did y'all see this? And this is what was happening. They were getting discouraged they were, they were causing them to be fearful and they didn't have any assurance. They didn't have any assurance because when you start doubting whether Jesus is enough, you're going to start doubting whether you got what it takes. Does that make sense? He said, but I want you to come to a full assurance. I'm writing this letter so you can be fully assured, fully assured. Say that with me, everybody. Everybody say it. Fully assured. I don't want you to have a hope so. I don't want you to have a maybe so. I want you to have a no so. Well, I don't know if you can know that. Oh, my Bible says you can. 
These things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you hope you have it. I have a no so salvation. Well, I just don't know. Well, you need to know. I wouldn't trust in what you had then. He said, I want you to have full assurance. Full assurance. Now, how are we going to get full assurance? By explaining who Christ is and what he has. Look what it says in verse 2. The riches, the wealth, the full assurance of what? Two things. Understanding and acknowledgement of the mystery of God. Now, now, if you wasn't here last week, you, you missed out on what the mystery was. Last week in chapter number one, we learned that the mystery he's referring to here. And you remember what mystery was? It was something previously hidden that is now revealed. In the Old Testament, they didn't have that knowledge. In the New Testament, it's being revealed. It was hidden in the old. It's being revealed in the new. What was hidden in the old? That Jesus, that God would come to this earth and take on human flesh. They didn't get that in the old. They didn't understand that in the old. It was revealed in the New Testament. Paul is saying that was a mystery. It was the incarnate God. That God would take on a human body. If that makes sense, amen. Amen. And listen, you've got to understand that. And, And this is why Paul is saying this here in this particular situation. Because they were claiming that Jesus was just a man. Or, or he was just like an angel. They were taken away from his deity. But listen, if you remove Christ's deity, it completely removes salvation. It it says the word, let's see, John chapter number one. In the beginning was the word, word, capital W. In the beginning was the, and the word was with God and the word was God. Are y'all with me? The same in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. Later on in that chapter, I think verse 14 And the word became and dwelled among us. And we beheld his glory, right? That's talking about Jesus. Jesus didn't begin existence in the manger. Jesus always has been. He was the word. He was the, he was the, listen, the word of God. And now he takes on a human body and his name is Jesus. Now watch this. He will be the God man for all eternity. We say this, he was the son of God. That's right. But he was also God, the son. That was the mystery. And he said, you got to get that. You got to come to a full discernment and acknowledge the fact that Jesus was God. Now, why does he want them? And he, and he, I mean, he goes over and over and over on this truth because if Jesus is God, he's enough. If Jesus is God, he can do whatever it takes to get the job done. Are y'all with me? So the only way we're going to come to full assurance and and, and be okay with our, and it was primarily their salvation, salvation and sanctification. They were saying, hey, you got to do this and you got to do, and Paul is saying, all that is, is, is garbage. Jesus is all you need. Say amen. So Paul's curriculum, his letter, is to strengthen them, to help them come to full assurance of who Jesus is and an acknowledgement of who he is. And by doing that, it will help assure them that they have all that they need. Then then see, see verse 4. What was was A? We see verse 1, we see Paul's his care. B, we see Paul's. Now, does everybody understand that? It's talking about the, lead, the whole letter itself, all right? The teachings, what he's trying to accomplish with it. All right, see, Paul's concern. Paul's concern, verse 4. And this I say, lest any man should... Come on, everybody. That lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. He was concerned about false teachers. False teachers. Now... The word beguile means to trick. It means to deceive with a purpose. In other words, they were not, they were not deceiving because they didn't know any better. They had an agenda. Are y'all with me? And not only that, but he said with enticing words. In other words, it would sound really good. Now, 
listen, some of the, some of the, some of the religious speakers I see on TV, when it comes to you guys, I'm not worried a bit because they sound so foolish. Anybody in here knows they're a moron. They are that ridiculous. But they are some that has just enough truth in it. And they are sincere to the point that, hmm, this sounds legit. Then all of a sudden they'll say one thing. And boy, my spiritual antenna, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm telling you the Holy Spirit He will reveal some things. And Paul is saying, hey, you're going to have to be careful. You're going to have to be careful. There are deceivers everywhere. There are wolves in sheep's clothing. I mean, what's the, think about that. Think about the implication of that. Why why is he saying, why is he saying, I mean, because it's really not literally a real wolf and a real sheep skin over it. What is he trying to say? They're going to come in looking like you. They're going to come in sounding like me. But you better look close because their teeth are a little larger than mine. Are y'all with me? So there's going to be deceivers. And by the way, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. There's deceivers out there today. So we need to know the truth. We need to know the word. We see Paul's care in verse number one, Paul's curriculum in verse two and three, Paul's concern in verse four. Then Paul's commendation, I like this. He said, for though I be absent in the flesh, he said, I'm not with you in person. I'm not with you in person, but I sure am in spirit. He said, my body might not be there, but my heart sure is. He said, I I love you guys and I'm thinking about you. That means you're on my mind. He said, I'm not there in, 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 in body, but I sure am there in spirit. Now, y'all heard that, that phrase before, right? You know, I can't be there, but I'll be there in, in spirit. That means you're thinking about it and you, you wanted to be there and you would like to be there and you want to be a part of it, but you just, for whatever reason, uh, Paul couldn't, he was incarcerated, amen? But he had a desire to be there. And sometimes, sometimes when somebody tells you whether it's uh, a situation at the, maybe at a doctor's appointment or, or, or maybe at a party or maybe at an event, man, it, it, even though you know they can't be there, but they're thinking about you, it's a blessing. Amen? Amen. And what Paul is saying, he said, though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding. In other words, I'm, 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 I'm hearing all of the reports of, of your steadfastness and, and, and your service to Christ. He said, man, it rejoices my heart when I see your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. So he's commending them. He said, I'm so thankful that you are holding fast. I'm thankful that you're sticking by the stuff that you're showing yourself to be faithful. So he commends them in verse five, then verse six, verse six, we see Paul's command, Paul's command. Now, now it's getting, he really, he really drives home. As ye have therefore received, who? Christ Jesus the Lord. As ye therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so, come on, so, Preacher Brown, Preacher Brown was at a Waffle House one time. This true story. Preacher Brown was at a Waffle House and uh, he asked, he asked the lady, he sees her all the time because the Waffle House is right down the road on Martintown Road from, from Victory Baptist Church where I went to Bible college and, and uh, he knew her and she knew him and, and, uh, and, and he said, I can't even remember the lady's name, but he, he knew her name. He called her name and said, he said, sis, are you a Christian? Or, no, he said, are you saved and a Christian? Are you saved and a Christian? She said, pastor, she said, I'm saved and I'm trying to be a Christian. Think about that. I know a lot of people that claim to be saved, but they ain't trying real hard to be a Christian. 
And I'm afraid because of maybe false teaching or, or inaccurate description of what salvation is. That maybe they've said a prayer or maybe a quick uh, repeat after me type thing. And they didn't realize what true repentance was. And because of a prayer they prayed back when they were six years old, it didn't matter. They've lived like hell ever since. But Paul said, if you've received him, you need to be walking after him. And I, I am to the persuasion that if you're not walking after him, most likely you hadn't received him. Not for an extended period of time. I'm not saying somebody can't lapse and I can't, I'm not saying somebody can't mess up. David's an obvious example of that. Peter is an obvious example of that. Uh, half of everybody in this room is an example of that. We can make mistakes, but I don't think it can be an extended period of time because according to scripture, if you do stray away, God's going to beat the devil out of you. Hebrews says for whom he loveth, he chasteneth. And the word chasten means a whooping. If you're without chastening, you're a bastard, not a son. That means you're illegitimate. Are y'all with me? So Paul is saying, look, if you have received Christ, if you have claimed to be a, a saved individual, if you claim to be a Christian, you need to walk after him. And what does that mean, walk after him? That doesn't mean to just come by after he goes by. That means you walk after him. You talk after him. You walk after him. You live after him. Whatever he does, you do. Whatever he says, you say. Whoever he loves, you love. Whoever he forgives, you forgive. You forgive like him. You love like him. You live like him. You speak like him. Somebody say amen. That's what that means. You walk after him. You, you ever heard the phrase about maybe a, a person in their child? Boy, he really takes after him. Does that make sense? He really, in other words, he, I've seen uh, one of the, <laughs> Brother Craig Edwards, I don't know if y'all remember the pastor that would come and preach our, our Bible conference. His son has preached here too. And I'm telling you, they've got the same walk. It's a little shuffle. It ain't even steps. It's just a little shuffle. They walk identical. And they walk out. And I'm thinking, there's no way that he can deny that kid right there. Are y'all with me? When, and what do we say about that? How do we explain that? He sure takes after him. And that's what this is talking about. If we claim Christ... We should resemble him. If we claim Christ, we should favor him. Well, why is that? Because he's in us. It's kind of like, I mean, this is, this is a no brainer. This is why I'm telling you, if you claim to know Christ, but you're not acting like him, you, you might not have received him. I mean, even the little kid that went to Sunday school has got more sense than that. A little kid come home and say, mama, 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 mama. Said, little Johnny, what, what's wrong with you? Said, Mama, I learned something today in Sunday school. Said, little Johnny, what did you learn in Sunday school? Said, Mama, Mama, listen, that teacher said that God is so big, he has the whole world in his hands. Well, that's right. Well, that ain't all I learned, Mama. What did you learn, little Johnny? Well, the teacher also taught us that God lives in us. Well, that's right. Little Johnny says, now, wait a minute. He said, if he's so big, he holds the world in his hand and he also lives in us, then that means he'll be busting out everywhere. Right? So if we really have received Christ, he's going to be busting out everywhere. Now, now, in some more than others, by and that's determined by what we do with this. See, the more we study this, the more we read this, and the more we know this, the more we learn about Him, and, and the more we hear about Him, and, and, and the more we learn about Him, the more we will we'll look like Him. And we'll act like Him. that makes sense? So, Paul said, if you're going to claim Him, if you're going to claim him, if you therefore have received him, you need to walk like him. You need to behave like him. You need to talk like him. How, how, how will that happen? Verse 7. Rooted, say it with me. Rooted and 
in establishing the faith. As ye have been taught. Ye have been taught. So where does it start? Being taught. What you're doing right now. This is going to help him bust out of you. Right? Rooted. What does it mean to be rooted? It means grounded. It means put your roots down. Right? And, and I believe you could say this. We need to be rooted in his word. Our, our, our roots need to be going down into the word. And what, what do roots do? It helps you be stable. Helps you be stable. But not only that. Not only that. You know, at, 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 at Hispanic church, uh, Sunday we learn in, in Psalm 1. You know, that the man... That, that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of scornful, but his light is in the law of the Lord, and in that law doth he meditate day and night. Right? You know what it said? Is he's going to be like a tree planted by the, the rivers of water. Right? If you go look, and I was, I was looking at some satellite photos of Israel, and I mean, you know, a lot of that's desert. Everything's brown, but right by the river, it's as green as can be. And what it's saying is them roots will be able to reach the, the nourishing water that's... Are y'all with me? Yeah. Now watch this. Let me tell you something. This is just... You can do whatever with it. Uh, when, I was, when I was working in South Carolina, I worked for Midland Valley Country Club. It's right across the river from Augusta, Georgia. Most of y'all have watched some of the Masters this past week. Right across the river from Augusta, Georgia. And, uh, and, and the, the, the superintendent... Uh, I was out, I was out, you know, uh, uh, on the course with him. We was riding around in his truck. He was checking on different things. And, and I said, are you going to water tonight? He said, no, I'm not going to water tonight. And I thought, hmm. I said, it's it been pretty hot, you know. And, and, and he, I said, why are you doing that? He says, I want to stress it a little bit. I said, why, why do you want to stress it? He said, when you stress the grass, it makes the roots go And the deeper they go, the stronger the grass is. Are y'all with me? And the less you have to maintain, the less fertilizer and the less water. And the... You ever wonder why God lets a little, a little stress get in your life? Anyway, that's point one. Maybe he's trying to get you to grow a little deeper. Now why, now why is that? Why is that? At that time, it wasn't really, there wasn't a really bad drought. He said, but if you don't have a good, healthy stand, when there is a drought, when there is a sure enough drought, you'll lose everything you have. But if you allow them to be just a little stressed so they'll grow deep in their roots when that drought does come. You know, I think that's why we lose a lot of people in church. It's because instead of allowing the roots to grow deeper when a little bit of stress comes, when COVID hits, we ain't seen them again. Does this make sense? Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying we all need to be grounded. We all need to be rooted. We all need to be established in the faith. Look what it says. <clears throat> Abounding therein with thanksgiving. Then verse number eight. Verse number eight. Point number two. We see not only the explanation, but we see the exhortation. Now we, we get into the encouragement, the, the, the teaching, the warning, if you will. What's the first word? Beware. Everybody say it. Beware. Now, what's the first thing you think about when you hear the word beware? Somebody said it. A dog. Beware of my 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 daughter's bulldog has an issue with my father's dogs. Because they live in his old house, and he don't like it. And he decided to go visit them yesterday. Yeah, it was. It was uh-oh. It was bad. I ain't going to lie. And, and 
Man, I, I started thinking about when I saw this word here, because most of the time when you see the word beware, it's usually beware the dog. And, and, you know, they even made signs now because of lawsuits, that, you know, and all this kind of stuff. You had to say more than beware of dog. You had to say dog will bite, which I would assume that if it said beware, he going to bite. Say amen. But I think Paul right here is saying this is serious. This is serious. And when you see beware the dog, that's serious. Are y'all with me? And he said there's a warning here. There's a warning. Be careful. Who are we to beware of? Look what he says. Beware lest any man spoil you. Now the word spoil here is not, is not buy you candy and flowers. The word literally means to carry off. So if we want to put it in our terms, he's saying beware lest anybody kidnap you. That's what, it, that's what the word means. Now you're saying, what do you mean kidnap? Do you know how many baby Christians have come to temple and has been born again? And because they never really got rooted and grounded and spent time and made an effort to grow and to learn some false cult and some false religion came by and told them a little tale and snatched them away. And do you realize that most cults don't go after their own converts? They always try to steal someone else's. And Paul sees that happening. He is seeing the real genuine church, the real body of Christ going into the community and winning people and leading them to Christ. And then you have these false teachers coming in and snatching them away. Does that make sense? And he said, be careful, beware, beware. All gold don't glitter. And everything that glitters is not gold. Are y'all with me? Beware. Don't be snatched away. Don't let anybody kidnap you. Don't let anybody deceive you. Through, what's that word? Philosophy. Through philosophy. Now look in your notes. Look in your notes. I gave you Webster's Dictionary definition. Philosophy. A general term denoting an explanation of the reason of things. That's pretty simple. Right? A general term denoting an explanation of the reason of things. In other words, you have people coming into Colossae saying, let me tell you why things are the way they are. Let me tell you the origin of man. Where do you think we got man coming from monkeys? Vain philosophy. Man trying to explain the reason of things apart from God. That's philosophy. And he said, if you're not careful, you'll have people come in and they will try to deceive you and snatch you away and explain away things. And it's all baloney. Are y'all with me? Now watch. Philosophy comes from basically two things. And he names them here. Philosophy, the explanation of the reason of things. And, it's, and it vain means empty, and deceit means deception. All philosophy, okay, all right, let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. All right? This is the meaning of everything. Any explanation of life after death, heaven, hell, the origin of man, the origin of life, the meaning or purpose of life, where we go when we die, where we came from, any explanation outside of this is vain, empty deception. Amen. That's what Paul is saying. Period. Y'all with me? Amen. Now watch what he says. Watch where he says it comes from. Watch where he says it comes from. He says in verse 8, he says this philosophy, this explanation of the reason of things, it comes from the tradition of men and after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. Now, first we see the traditions of men. You see that under your notes there? Number one, the traditions of men. Oh, I, I didn't give you foolishness of philosophy. I'm sorry. That's, that's A. The foolishness of philosophy. He, he begins to warn them. You remember? Point number two is about the warning, the exhortation. He's exhorting them. He's warning them about the foolishness of philosophy. 
The way man tries to explain things is basically the easiest way to put that. And the reason they have that is because of the traditions of men. Now, what is the traditions of men? That which is given one to another. In other words, that which is passed down one from another. Where do we get a tradition from? From the one that came before us. Y'all with me? And, and the problem is, is traditions are usually not based on truth. And it's built upon and upon and upon and upon. So by the time it gets to you, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the, the young lady who just got married. Just got married and, and, and she's in, in the kitchen and, and she's cooking the ham and her husband's sitting in there. And the husband's so excited because he, he was able to afford this nice, beautiful ham and, 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 and brought it in and, and gave it to the wife. And she went in there to cook it and she chopped off the end of the ham. Big old chunk of it, chopped it off and put the rest in the stuff. And she said, why did you do that? Why did you cut that off? She said, I don't know. That's just the way my mother always did it. Well, why did she do it? Said, I don't know. Let's call her. So they called the mother and said, Mom, you know, I was cooking this ham and I cooked it just like you cooked it. And I whopped off the end and, 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 and my husband wants to know, why did you do that? She says, well, I don't know. That's just the way your granny always done it. They said, well, why did granny do it? Said, well, I don't know. Let's call her. And they call granny and say, granny, we, we're, we're cooking this ham and, 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 and we cut off the end. And, 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 and we, you know, I did it because mama did it. Mama did it because you did it. Said, why do you do it? She said, well, I don't know why you two dummies did it, but my pan was too small. <laughs> do I have a witness? Amen. See, that's why you can't trust tradition. Paul said it's empty deceit. It's vain. Anything other than Christ is a mistake. Anything they try to add to Christ is a mistake. Does this make sense? And see, the, the Pharisees had a bad problem with this. They even confronted Jesus with it. Y'all remember? Look what it says in your notes. Look what it says in your notes. Mark 7, 5. <clears throat> Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders? They didn't say nothing about the word or the law. They were, they were mad because they didn't follow the tradition of the elders. But eat bread with unwashing hands. He answered and said unto them, well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as is it written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrine the Oh, mercy. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such things ye do. Now, here's, here's how that happened. God gave him his law, right? Mount Sinai. Y'all remember? Y'all get with me now. I only got 16 minutes. Stay with me. God gave him the law at Mount Sinai. When, when Israel went into captivity, when Israel went into captivity, the elders and the people began to notice the youngins started acting more Babylonian than they did Israeli. Y'all with me? And that's what'll happen. When your kids are out in the world, they'll come home and they'll pick up things like, where'd you get that from? Who'd you hear that from? Why are you talking? Right? So they started seeing them. And so they got concerned about that. So they started adding rules to the law to help you follow the law. Y'all with me? For instance, for instance, Sabbath day, Sabbath day. He said on Sabbath day, what? He said rest. He said on Sabbath day, rest. But you know what they did? They added some rules. Let me help you rest. And they added steps that you were allowed to take on that day. How many of y'all have ever heard the phrase, they took a Sabbath day's journey? You know what that means? They were only allowed to take a certain amount of steps. Because if you took more than that amount of steps, that was work. So those amount of steps added up to a Sabbath day's journey. That's how far you could go without breaking the Sabbath. Does that make sense? And all God said was rest. But they added. Well, what happened over time, they kept adding and adding and adding. And, 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 and the influence of God's true word got smaller and smaller and smaller. When their rules got more and more and more and more and more. To the point that they only cared about the tradition and not the truth. 
Does this make sense? And what Paul is saying here is this vain philosophy, this explanation of the reason of things, it just comes from man's tradition. Something that's passed down from generation to generation, this is said and that said. Y'all know thousands of old wives' tales. I, I had a lady, I've told y'all this a bunch of times, but it goes right here. A lady, I was in the, in the church in, in uh, South Carolina, and I was fixing to walk out in the building and say, Preacher, preacher, come over here. It was an older lady talking to a, a, a younger Christian and said, Preacher, tell her that the Bible says that there's going to be more children, more people go to heaven than go to hell, even if God turn, has to turn the rocks and trees into children. I said, to what? You know, you know, the Bible says that there's going to be more people go to heaven than go to hell, even if God has turned the rocks and trees into children. And you know why she was saying that? Because that's what her grandma told her. And, and legit thought that that was the truth. And what it was, was a hodgepodge of different parts of verses. The problem with that is, the Bible says, straight is the gate and narrow is the way, and few there be that find it. Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go thereat. She got the rocks and trees from when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem and his triumphal entry on the donkey, and, and the Pharisees came out of the temple and said, because the, the people were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. They were praising Christ and praising the king. And they said, make them stop. He said, if I made them stop, the rocks and trees would cry out in praise. But see what happens, people take a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and they'll come up with a reason for things. And they'll call that philosophy. And Paul is saying, it's vain deceit. Vain means empty, and we all know what deception is. If you can't find it in this book, don't bank on it. Are y'all with me? Amen. Now, let's hurry. Let's hurry. Lord have mercy. We're behind schedule. You see, this, this foolishness of philosophy, it comes from the traditions of men. It comes, comes from the elementary beliefs of the world. Paul uses the word rudiments. Rudiment means base. The elementary. The smallest. It'd be kind of like, it'd be kind of like the ABCs. What Paul is saying here, what Paul is saying here. He said, look, you've believed in Christ. In Christ is all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. By leaving Christ and listening to what the world says about it, it's like, it's like, can you imagine walking into a class in Harvard University and him saying, let's learn our ABCs. He said, they're claiming to have this great wisdom. They're claiming to have all this great knowledge. And he said... That's like, if you turn from Christ to that, does this make sense? The very, you're, you're going, you're regressing. I know what they're claiming. They're claiming this great wisdom and great knowledge. He said, but you're going backwards. Look at what Paul, look at what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish, what? Foolishness. foolishness. They think it's foolish. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Let's talk about the world's crowd, the wisdom of the world. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? God hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying, and, and, and pardon, the, pardon the phrase, but the dumbest Christian in here is smarter than the, the most educated atheist out on the street. That's what he's saying. When it all boils down, when it's all said and done, he said, don't go back to that. Because when you have Christ, you have you have everything. All the knowledge, all the wisdom, all the treasure is found in Christ. 
Then verse 9. Let's hurry. Talking about Christ. For in Him. You see, Paul is telling them about the foolishness of philosophy, then be the fullness of Christ. You got to keep in mind what he's trying to combat here. He's trying to combat the false teaching that Christ wasn't enough. That you got to have more. You got to have tradition. You got to have philosophy. You got to have this other knowledge. You have to have uh, the, the, the ceremonies. You have to have the, 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 the circumcision and all of these things that comes with Judaism. And he said, no, Christ is enough. And you remember, they didn't believe he was God, right? They didn't believe he was God. For in him, Paul says, in Christ dwelleth all the, come on everybody, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now watch this, the fullness of Christ. We see three things right here. Number one, the fullness of his deity. The fullness of his deity. He's all God. And it says bodily, meaning he is all God in a man's body. You remember, they didn't believe that. They didn't believe. They believed all matter was evil and all good was spirit. And if God's a good God, then there's no way in the world he would be found in a body. And he's saying, listen, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You will call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. He is all God in a human body. That's what he's saying. Not only the fullness of his deity, but number two, the fullness of his deliverance. Verse 10a. And ye, talking about the believer that he's speaking to, and ye, you and me, are, come on. We are what? We are what? You know what that means? Nothing's missing. When he delivered you, We see the fullness of his deity, the fullness of his deliverance. When he delivered you, you was completely delivered. You was all the way saved. He didn't save part of you. He didn't save some of you. He saved all of you. You're complete in him. Amen. Number three, we see the fullness of his dominion. Not only the fullness of his deity, verse nine, the fullness of his Deliverance of us, we are complete in him. We have all we need in him, which is the head of all principality and power. That's talking about angels. Y'all with me? You see, some of these ignorant people believed in worshiping angels. Why would you worship something that is in subjection to Jesus? Jesus has dominion over not only the physical world, but the spiritual world. He's everything. So when you have him, you have all you need. Somebody say amen. Amen. Let's hurry. Let's hurry. We got six minutes. We'll do it. We can do it. Y'all believe it? Amen. Let's do it. Let's do it. Here we go. We see the fullness of his deity, the fullness of his deliverance, the fullness of his dominion. He's everything. He's all God. He's all God. Now look here, verse 11, we see his exclamation. Now it's getting serious. My buddy, my buddy in South Carolina, he, he'd get tongue-tied and he said, it's getting serial now. He's getting serial now. He's getting serial right here. He's exclaiming, watch this. He said, in whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, Buried with him in baptism, wherein are also ye are risen with him through faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Now let me, just everybody look at me real quick. I'm going to give you some information. It's not in your notes. I just printed this off so I could read it to you. To give you a better understanding of circumcision in the Old Testament and, and what we're dealing with here. Circumcision was the outward de- demonstration that a man was born sinful and needed cleansing. The cutting away of the male foreskin on the reproductive organ was a graphic way to demonstrate that man needed cleansing at the deepest level of his being. 
No other part of the human anatomy so demonstrates life. Watch this now. Because all that he produces is sinful. From Adam to the last person born today came from man and through that process and they're all sinners. Now watch. That is the biblical view. From the beginning though, from the beginning, circumcision was used symbolically. Say that with me. Symbolically. It was symbolically to illustrate the desperate need man had for cleansing the heart. What did, what did God want to symbolically show them? That their heart needed cleansing. In Deuteronomy 10, 16, Moses commanded the people of Israel saying, Circumcise then your heart. Take away that sinful that sinful covering of your heart and stiffen your neck no more. Deuteronomy 30 verse 6. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, in order that you may live. The Lord commanded the Israelites of Jeremiah's time to exercise, or excuse me, circumcise themselves to the Lord and remu- remove the foreskins of their heart, that which causes infection and sin. God was always concerned with the heart, not the physical right. You see, it's just like baptism. Baptism doesn't do the saving. It's symbolic of what Jesus did for you. And this right was a symbolic way to illustrate what God did for the heart. Now for Christians, this is what Paul is trying to teach them here in Colossians. It says in verse number 11, in whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without what? Hands. In other words, it wasn't the physical surgery. It wasn't the taking away of the physical skin of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Watch what it is. For Christians, the physical right of circumcision is unnecessary. Now keep in mind that the false teachers were telling them, you have to believe in Christ and you have to go through this ceremony. In other words, you've got to follow the law of Ab- or excuse me, Moses and be a, a Jew also. Does this make sense? Now remember, he's speaking to all Gentile people. So the, the, the false teachers came in here and said you had to believe in Christ and become a Jew. You had to go through this ceremony. Paul's saying that's not true. That's not true. For the Christian, the physical right, this, this actual surgery is unnecessary because we have already been circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. You see, the object of the circumcision of Christ is the removal of the body of the flesh. Now watch this. Here's here's the explanation. The body of the flesh refers to the sinful fallen human nature totally dominating believers before salvation. What happens at the point of salvation? Jesus cuts that away. Christians have been cleansed of that sinful dominance and been given a new nature created in righteousness, having been circumcised with a circumcision made without hands that is not physical, but spiritual. If this makes sense, say amen. Second Corinthians five seventeen says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become Galatians six fifteen. for in Christ Jesus. Neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision. That's the physical right. But a new creature. What Paul is saying, it's not what happens on the outside. It's what happens on the inside. And he said, if you have been saved, you are completely saved by what Jesus does on the inside. It's the surgery that you cannot see. It's the surgery that doesn't happen by man's hands. It is God doing the surgery, cutting the old man out. Say amen. You know, I've seen something in these two verses too. Look at here. Look at here. We see death in verse number 11. We see burial in verse 12 and resurrection. So in verse 11 and 12, you see what it says? Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through faith and the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. So in verse 11 and verse 12, we have death, burial, and resurrection. Y'all with me? We have the death of the old man. That's the circumcision. That's the cutting away of the old man. We have the burial. And then we have the resurrected brand new creature living after Christ, living like Christ, living and talking and walking, following Christ. Say amen. Amen. 
Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying you, if you are a child of God, because of the operation of Christ, you are completely saved. Our salvation is complete. That's what we see. Death, burial, and resurrection. You're a brand new creature. You're brand new. Your salvation is complete. Verse 11 and 12. Then B, our forgiveness is complete. Our forgiveness is complete. This is a good one right here. Look at this, verse 13 and 14. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Now see, that means he's talking to Gentiles. He's in reference to the physical part. He said, you're Gentiles. You, you were not of the Jewish covenant. He says, you were dead in your sins. You were lost just like they were. Hath he quickened together. Word quickened means made alive. Made alive. Having, what's that word? Everybody, having you. How many? You sure? Say it with me. All, say it again. All trespasses. Matter of fact, he goes into detail. Blotting out the handwriting, the handwriting. Now, the word handwriting there literally means a Paper debt. In other words, Brother McKelvey, if, 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 if you bought some cows for me, I'd write out your debt on this piece of paper saying that you owe me this. You owe me this. Now the word ordinances means the law. Because of the law, we're in debt to God because we broke his, his law, his ordinances. In other words, the law says, thou shalt not lie. Okay? How many, how many of us are, are in debt to that one? All you that didn't raise your hand, you just were found guilty. <laughs> Amen? And you see what would happen? What would happen is they would take a criminal and they would write down all of his crimes. And when they would execute him, they would nail it on the cross that they crucified him on. Is that making you think about anything? Here is Jesus, the king of the Jews. His only crime was being king. Y'all with me? So what, what Paul is saying, all of your sins, all of your debt, every sin you ever committed and ever will commit. Do you hear what I just said? I don't think you heard me. Every single, you see, God works on, he's outside the timeline. You're in the timeline. Your birth, your death. Hopefully we're somewhere right here. Y'all with me? But the way God looks at it, he doesn't look at the space you've, you've been alive. He looks at from death or from birth to death, all forgiven. All trespasses. Completely forgiven. Look what it says. So how do you know that? Because he nailed them to the cross. It says blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us, meaning hostile against us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. You know what that means? All of my sin and all of your sin, guys out at Fairview, all of your sins, every sin you'll ever commit in your entire life from the beginning to the end is all on that piece of paper. God the Father nailed it to the cross and punished his son And made his son pay so that it could be taken away from you. That's what that means. Now, I don't know if you truly understand how saved you really are. But you're really saved. Your salvation is complete. Your forgiveness is complete. See, your victory is complete. Verse 15. Look at what he did. 
After Jesus died on the cross, after he wiped our sin away, I hear papers flipping. Listen. And having spoiled principalities and powers, that's, that's demonic forces, that's in fallen angels. Having spoiled them, that means to strip them of power, strip them of their weapons. It, this is really, this is really given the picture of a Roman general who would take his captives and all the spoil and march them through the streets in Rome as a sign of victory. Does that make sense? Y'all seen movies where they come in and the general riding on the chariot and all of the, the, uh, the prisoners of war there and he is showing off his victory. That's what this is meaning. It means that Jesus went to hell, to the abyss. His body, those three days, his body went in the ground, but his spirit went to where they were being held captive and showed out. And declared victory. They tried to stop him from Genesis. From Genesis because God promised a seed and Cain killed Abel. And so we got a dead son and a sinner who couldn't carry the line. So from the very beginning of time, the demonic forces have tried to stop the Messiah. But he went to where they was and said, look at me now. I'll prove it. I'll prove it. Hebrews 2, 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the... And deliver them. That means we have the victory. Deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Watch this now. First Peter. This describes him going to, going to the abyss. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. The spirits there is those, those demons that were held captive. It says, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, Eight souls were saved by water. Now, let me explain that. In the days of Noah, there were demons, there were fallen angels who were running amok on this earth, spreading such vile, vile wickedness that it went beyond God's toleration. It was so bad to the point that even after a hundred years of preaching from a faithful preacher and boat builder, only eight people would believe in God. Y'all with me? It was that bad. So God put them in chains to be reserved until they're thrown into the lake of fire. Well, that time between the cross and the resurrection, Jesus' spirit went to where they was and declared victory. Y'all with me? That's what it's saying. He spoiled them. He declared complete victory over Satan and all his demons. I'm not sure if you know how saved you are. But you're pretty saved. If you're saved. And all God's people say it. Now do you know why. Paul kept emphasizing. When you got Jesus. You got. You got enough. You got enough. Because in him is as you say. Everything. And all God's people say it.